you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to two different places, Romans chapter 12 and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures this morning, but those are the two that I really want you to, to kind of remember, mark, circle, underline, whatever it is that you need to do so you can remember them. But we're continuing in our series called Faith Forward. And the whole idea behind Faith Forward is that when faith was born in you, meaning that you recognized that you had a sin problem in your life that you couldn't solve and that Jesus was so good and holy that you couldn't approach him, but that he had made a way through the cross to atone for your sins and to save you from them and to give you new life and new identity. That's the moment that faith was born inside of you. And it began to change you. It began to change the way that you lived, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. It began to change the desires that you have inside of you. And as faith began to grow in you, it continued to change you and the course of your life. But what happens is if we don't continue to make deliberate decisions and develop disciplines inside of our life to continue to further the growth of our faith, eventually our faith will be challenged, it will be contested, it will become apathetic as it competes with other interests and desires inside of our life, and faith will begin to shrink and to die inside of us. But that's not what we want. We want to be those who, from the day that we made a decision to follow Jesus to the day when we stand in his presence, our faith continues to grow. We continue to become more like Jesus. We continue to move more fully into everything that he has created us to be. And one of the decisions or disciplines that we have to develop in our life, if we want our faith to continue to move forward and take hold of everything that Jesus has for us, is we have to become those who build a life that's built upon the word of God. It will be a foundational decision that you make that will change every aspect of your life and propel your faith forward. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12. This is a, a memory verse that I had as a kid that ended up really beginning a transformation inside of my life. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What this verse is saying is that there was a way that you were before Jesus, where you were shaped by the world that's around you. We're all born into a culture. We're all born into a time. Every culture, every time has their idea of what truth is that you by default accept and begin to live according to. But when you decide to follow Jesus, you're called out of that way of living. You recognize that what the world has to offer you and the culture that you've been living in isn't everything. You begin to see the deficiencies in it. You begin to see the bad things that are a part of it and recognize that Jesus has something more and something better for you. So you try to be more like Jesus, and that makes you less like the world that's around you. But it, it's the struggle of you keep, okay, I want to be like you, Jesus, but I keep ending up living like the world that's around me. I want to live like you. I keep end up living the way that I used to live before. And it's this battle back and forth again and again and again. And you want to break free from that. You want to live in a new way. You want to be like Jesus, but we don't know how to do it. And what this verse is telling us is that God wants to transform you and make you into a new person. When you're transformed and made into a new person, you won't have to live the way that you used to live. You won't continue to copy the customs and the patterns and the beliefs of the culture and the world that's around us anymore. So how is it that we're transformed? The way that we're transformed, it says, is by changing the way that we think. The way that we think is everything about us. You end up doing the things that you think about. I have never once 
like eating a taco at midnight without thinking about doing it first. Everything that I think ends up being played out inside of my life. So therefore, all of my actions are tied to the thoughts that exist inside of me. If I want to change my actions, I have to change my thoughts. And Jesus, or Paul in this, through God, is saying that the way that we're going to become transformed into a new person is when our thoughts are completely changed so that we're able to live in a new way. And when we have our thoughts changed, now we're able to see what God's will is for us. We're able to see what his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will is for us. One of the biggest questions I get is people say, hey, pastor, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Right after, who should I marry? Should I marry this person? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, that's not, I can't find in the Bible who you're supposed to marry. You're on your own. Uh, I'm a little nicer about it than that. But what, I'm, what it comes down to is this idea of that we want to know what God's will is for our life. We don't want to live the way that we used to. We want to be transformed into a new creation. But how does that happen? How do we change the way that we think? You can't change the way you think by just deciding I'm not going to think about something. If I had said, I don't want you to think about pink elephants for the next 30 seconds, well, you weren't even thinking about pink elephants until I said that, but now that you're trying to not think about it, it's all that you can think about. There has to be something that transforms the way that we think that's beyond just our own natural willpower. And we see that in John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He knows that his, his time on earth is very short now. And so he's saying his last things to his disciples, and actually what he's doing is he's praying. It's this long, beautiful, recorded prayer that we have where Jesus is praying to his Father, but other people are, are listening in and hearing what it is that he's saying. And the things that you say before you're about to leave are always the most important things. Whenever I go away and I, tell them, I talk to my kids before I'm getting on a plane, I'll, I'll say like, the most important things. I'm like, hey, you need to brush your teeth. I need you to change your underwear while I'm gone. I need you to listen to your mom. Like Those are the three most important things that you need to remember while I am not here. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He said, this, this is it. This is the meat of everything. This is what you need to know and to remember as I'm about to leave you. And as he's praying to God, he says, sanctify them in the truth. And he's talking about us. He's talking about believers, disciples of Jesus. He's saying, I want you, God, to sanctify them. The word sanctify means to purify something. It means uh, to, to make it holy, to set it apart for God, but before it can be set apart for the purposes of God, there has to be a cleansing or a purification that happens first, so now it's able to be used for and by God. So how is it that Jesus says that things are supposed to be sanctified? How are we sanctified? He says, within the truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. What Jesus is telling his disciples, and what he's praying for God to do in them is he's about to leave the people he's been investing and leading for three years, is he's saying, God, Father, I want you to sanctify them. I want them to be set apart, holy for you. But before they can be used by you, I need you to do a cleansing and a purifying work inside of them so they're ready and able to do everything that you've called them to do. And how do I want you to sanctify them? How do I want you to cleanse and purify them? With truth. I want truth to be what comes and washes over them. And what is truth? And that's the big question of our age. It's the big question of every age that philosophers have been trying to address since the time began. It's what Pilate asked Jesus at his own trial. He said, what is truth? And here Jesus tells us what truth is. 
He says, your word is truth. The word of God is the truth that we have. Oh, there's different ways that we view truth. Every culture has truth. You won't find any group of people that says, I'm trying to do everything I can to turn away from real truth and live out a lie or something that's a falsehood. Nobody tries to do that. But you will see, if you look at cultures, there are very different ideas of truth that exist within cultures. If you look at the way, a progression of time, even if you go back and look at classical Greek philosophy and what their idea of truth was, you would see that truth changes over time. Uh, it used to be that truth or an idea would be developed over hundreds of years and it would exist for hundreds of years without people branching out from it. But then as communication became more readily available, we were able to communicate with each other, challenge ideas of truth. Now truth and what cultures believe to be truth changes very rapidly. It went to, you'd see truth in a generation that would change into the next generation. And now in our day, I mean, truth changes so fast and what culture accepts as truth. Now, if, like, do you remember in 2012 when we used to think blah, blah, blah? Like, yeah, we were so stupid. How could anybody have believed that was true five years ago? And it makes me wonder, like, what's, go what's it going to be like in 50 years? I have no idea what our culture will believe is true 50 years from now. But I'm pretty sure that every one of us with the things that we believe right now will look like complete Neanderthals and idiots based on what we believe to be true right now because it's what culture has told us is true. It's because culture continues to change. The idea of truth in every culture continues to change. It evolves over and over again. It's a constant thing. But what Jesus says is that real truth is found in the words of God. That it's timeless truth. It's truth that we can build our lives on. It's the only truth that there is. And it's the truth that sanctifies us. It's the truth that purifies us and makes us ready to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. So what are the words of God? One of the best ways that we know the words of God, the revealed word of God to us, is the scriptures that we have. We have so many Bibles in America. We have, I think the average home has like 2.7 Bibles in it which is an insane amount of any one copy of any book. We have Bibles everywhere, the truth of God contained inside of it, available for us to read whenever we want to. And that truth, when we come to it, has the ability to transform us and to change us because it's not just the words of people, it's not just the words of culture, it's the words of God revealed to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. And what the scripture there is saying is that the Bible, it's not the words of man. It's not the, the best ideas that a culture came up with 2,000 years ago, or even if you go back farther than that into the Hebrew culture. It's not something that they, they labored through to try to come up with. It wasn't what philosophers debated over and refined. That what we read in Scripture is the inspired Word of God. It's that God used human instruments. He used people like pens to write and to reveal what His truth is for us, and that we can take, us as, take it as that. And what God's truth does is it teaches us what truth is, first of all, but then it also corrects us in the areas where we're wrong. Every one of us, we all believe things that are wrong. It's impossible not to have some wrong beliefs. 
If we knew what we were wrong about, we would fix it because we don't want to be wrong. We would move into truth if we knew what it was. We just don't know what truth is so many times. Well, what the scriptures do is they reveal truth to us, not truth that's constantly changing with every generation or with every fad or with every new idea or, you know, like with every tweet that comes out. It's a truth that is from the mouth of God himself revealed to us that's going to sanctify us, purify us, change the way that we think, and transform our lives so that we can do everything that he calls us to do. Because what it says that he's doing, why is God doing this? Why is he bringing correction to us? It's because he wants to prepare us and equip us to do every good deed that he's created us to do. And correction's a hard thing to take. And it really depends on the relationship that you have with the person oftentimes. If someone just comes up to you on the street and says, hey, you're doing this wrong, you need to do it this way, you're like, who are you? I, I, why are you telling me this? I don't care. I don't trust you. But if it's someone that you know and that comes to you in gentleness to try to correct you on something that you're doing. Like my wife was trying to help me learn how to do CPR on our children last week. And I'm like, well, this is an important thing. I want to get that right, and I don't know how to do it. So she was turning like on me and pushing and showing me how we do it on a little baby doll. It was weird. It's like, okay, I want truth in this area because if something happens with our kids, I want to be able to do it. But then also with your spouse, the person that you love the most, sometimes you're least open to taking a correction from them uh, because of pride issues that we have in our heart and, you know, the weird relational dynamic that exists there. But what Jesus does is he comes and he brings us truth and he wants to correct us with his truth, not to shame us, not to guilt us, not to condemn us, not to cast us away or say that you're an idiot, but he does it because he wants you to move into truth so that you don't live in destruction, but so that you live in his blessing and so that you don't continue to live apart from his call on your life, but so that you can live and move into all of the good works and the good deeds that he created you to do. I'm so grateful that God corrects us. It says that we shouldn't despise God's correction because every loving father disciplines or corrects their children. When my son was, he was two and he was running around and he wanted to touch the stove so bad when it was hot and it was running, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to you know, impose my set of values on him. That would be really rude of me. It could be his truth. Maybe his truth is that stoves are fun to touch when they're hot. But what I did was I wanted to bring correction to him because I wanted to save him from moving into a place of destruction. What I do with my children is I'm trying to lead them from the place they are into the place where they should be. Uh, every one of our children, they're born and they are not equipped to live life as adults. Not a single one of them. Every one of them is born with a call of God on their life and not a single one of them is ready or able to move into it. What we do as parents is we, first of all, love our children unconditionally. Like, I don't love my kids because of what they do. I don't love my kids because of what they don't do. I don't love my kids because of some unique skill set that they have or because they're particularly attractive or smart or anything else. The only reason I love my kids is because of who they are. They're my kids. And it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they don't do. I'm always going to be their father. They're always going to be my children. And my heart is always going to be unconditionally theirs. I completely love and accept them right where they are. But that doesn't mean I want them to remain where they are. I'm going to continue because of my love for them to bring correction to their life and to reveal truth to them so that they can live out the call of God on their life. There are a lot of people who were kids once and their parents didn't love them enough to teach them what truth was or to prepare and equip them to be adults. We don't need more of that. 
We don't spiritually want to be that. We don't want to be the spiritual kids who our bodies got big and we got old, but spiritually we never grew and our faith never grew. We never allowed truth to sanctify us and to change us. And now we're never able to take hold of all the things that Jesus has for us and to do all of the good works that he prepared for us. We need to allow Jesus to love us so much that he comes and he corrects us and he brings truth to us. And it's important to understand the heart behind it. He's doing all this. He's bringing correction to you because he loves you and because he wants to change the way that you think so that your life can be transformed. With my kids, one of the things that I'm working on many, many times a day, they're teaching me patience as I'm trying to teach them sharing. Uh, So it's the idea of, hey, you have to share. But if I just teach them, if I just bring correction to, hey, you have to share, but I don't help them understand the heart behind why they need to share, then they will only share when I'm there looking, and as soon as I'm not there, they're going to rip stuff out of people's hands and keep it all for themselves. So what I'm doing is I'm helping them understand the reason why we share is because we think of other people more highly than we think of ourselves. We put the needs of other people more highly than our own needs. If I teach them that, if I transform the way they think, not just, okay, I have to do this physical action when my dad's looking or else I'm going to get in trouble, but if we transform their minds to think other people are more important than me, their needs are more important than my needs, so now the natural reaction or the overflow of that thought process is going to be, if I have something that they want, I'm going to give it to them. Not because I'm being made to, but the way that I think leads me to these actions. If I'm telling my kids, you can't hit other people, but I don't explain why we don't hit other people, then they're just going to, you know, they'll be nice when I'm not there, but they'll harbor hate towards other people inside of their heart, and as soon as I'm not looking or they think they can get away with it, the overflow of their heart and their thought patterns will come out and they're going to hit a kid. But if we teach them that every single person has immeasurable value and worth because they're made in the image of God, And we love them so much that even if they hate us or despise us, we're not going to hit them back. We're not going to allow their hate for us to dictate the level to which we're going to love them. We love them so much that we bless those who would curse us. We love other people so much that even if they would hit us, we're going to turn the other cheek to them. If we teach them to love other people, their thought patterns change And now the natural overflow or the actions of their life are going to come into conformity with the thought patterns. That's what Jesus is doing in us. He doesn't just have a list of rules of things he wants us to do or not to do. He wants to transform the way that we think. And the way that he transforms the way that we think is by revealing truth to us, correcting us in the areas where we're wrong, helping us understand the heart behind who he is, who we are, what we've been called to do, and the things that, uh, that he has made us and prepared for us to do. When we start changing the way that we think, it's going to naturally change all of our actions. One of the great... Issues that we're facing in our time is racial reconciliation. We are doing a really bad job of it. I mean, because here's, here's why. It's because every politician or, or a lot of the, the thinkers and leaders of movements on every side of every race, whatever it might be, a lot of it's focusing in on the actions. 
It's this needs to happen. This action needs to happen. This action needs to happen. And what that will do is it'll make it so that people that don't want to be reconciled or aren't able to confess what it is that they've done and ask their forgiveness and start like making justice happen, it just makes it so people go underground. I can remain a bigot inside of my heart. I won't say anything on Twitter or on Facebook. I'll just keep it to myself. Everybody will think it's cool. But in my heart, as soon as nobody is looking, the actions are going to follow it because of the way that I think hasn't been changed. What if we came back to what Jesus has revealed that every single one of us is of equal worth and value? What if that became the way that we thought about every issue, not just even a race, but every justice issue that we encounter? If we came back to the revelation of the truth that every single one of us are of equal worth and value, no one's higher and no one's lower, that we are all made to be sons and daughters of the living God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. If we believe that at the core of who we are, then the actions are going to start changing to come into conformity with that truth. If we really believe that, it's, that other people's needs are greater than our own and we need to be more concerned about others than we are ourselves, then that means it's not just going to be actions like, okay, I guess I should do something. It's, it's going to lead us, the actions are going to be the natural overflow of our life because we come and we say, this person and the need that they're going through or what they've gone through, that's more important than me. That's more important than what I have in my hands. That's more important than me retaining rights and privileges for myself. Jesus has called me to lay myself down for other people. If we actually came to the place where we allowed Scripture to wash over our minds, to sanctify us, to change the way that we think, it would transform the way that we live, and it would transform everything that we see in our world. But as long as we keep it, just these are physical actions that need to happen or we shame people or we commend people based on what they're doing but never address the thought patterns that's revealed through the truth of Scripture, then we're going to continue to do a really bad job in everything that we're trying to do. But Jesus wants to sanctify us with his truth revealed in Scripture. He wants to change us because he wants to prepare us and equip us to do all of the things that he created us to do. So how do we do that? How do, we, uh, how do we take this home from there? And this is what I would say. I'm going to make this really simple, really quick, is that there's, there's these two things that we need to do if we want to live a life that's been transformed by the Word of God. And the first thing we have to do is we have to accept its authority. That's a hard one. To accept the authority of the truth that God has revealed to us. Uh, and there's two reasons why we don't like to do that. Number one is because if we're really honest about it, we don't agree with it. If, if anybody here read through the whole Bible, have any of you found anything in the Bible that you didn't agree with that have read through the whole thing? I'll put up both hands. Like, there are things that when I come and I read the Bible, this isn't a Bible, I'm like, what? That can't be right. Check over here. I like that. That's good. That'll preach. Ooh, I don't like that at all. Like the first, and the reason for that is because if you were shaped by sin, if you were fallen, if you were in bondage to sin, if, if you are a product of a culture that's around you, then what you believe to be true isn't going to be truth. There are going to be a lot of things that you've been wrongly believing in your life because of the culture that's around you or sinful experiences, desires in your life, things like that that have shaped your thought patterns, that now when you come to what perfect truth is, what the words of God are, you're like, that doesn't make, uh, what? 
I don't like that at all. Like, who is, when, if you got saved and you opened your Bible and you went to Malachi 3.10 is the first thing you ever read, and you're like, bring the tithe into the, what? I got to give a tenth of all of my income to the Lord? I don't like that. Like, there's nobody that got saved and on day one read that verse and thought, that's a good thing. I agree with that 100%. Or you look at it and you're like, okay, so what does the Bible say about sexuality? Oh, gosh, that can't be right. I don't like that at all. There are all sorts of things. Like, okay, I'm supposed to do what to my enemies now? I have, if someone hits me, okay, so how hard do I get to hit them back? I don't. So someone can just blast me in the face and I'm supposed to turn my other cheek to them? I don't like that. What happens if they hit me in that cheek too? Like, then do I get to fight back or what? But there's lots of things that we don't agree with because we've been shaped and we are products of the culture that's around us. We are a product of the time that we live in. Nobody likes to think that. Here's the reality of it. I'll be real honest. If I was living in the South 200 years ago as a white guy, I would probably be the biggest racist bigot that there ever could be. Why? Because I would be a product of my culture. That's what people around me told me was true from the time that I was a little kid growing up. I wouldn't be allowing scripture to reveal to me the true worth that all people have and the call for the abolition of, of all of that institution. I would just be thinking, oh, you know, like it's, it's different. This is the way that it is, and, you know, I'm a superior race. We don't like to admit that kind of stuff, but it's easy to see that from generations before us. What is it right now in the generation that we live in where we're missing it just as much as they did? Because there are things. There are things that we've been believing that are evil and that are wrong and are completely promoted as truth in our society. And it's leading us to destruction. And we don't even see it because we're blinded to our own culture. I'm really glad that when I open up my Bible and I read things that I don't agree with. Because it means that God's leading me into truth. If you open up your Bible and you agree with everything that's inside of it, congratulations, you didn't need Jesus. You were already perfect. You did not need saving. But for all the rest of us, when we open up our Bibles and we come to it, I have to love my enemies. I have to give them the clothes off my back if they ask for it. I'm supposed to forgive them? There's a lot of hard stuff in Scripture, but it's the truth of God. And we have to accept it as authoritative. If we don't accept it as authoritative, it doesn't mean that it's not true. But what it does mean is that you don't get to receive the blessings that come from accepting the truth of God in your life. The second reason why we don't like it, or that's a hang-up for accepting as authoritative, is that we don't understand it. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that you read. You're like, I don't understand this, Jesus. I don't understand how, how this could be right. Why would you be asking me to do this? Think about Moses and the Israelites. We're going to lead you into a promised land. But now I'm going to have you walk around in the desert for 40 years before we go in there. Like, Jesus, it's a two-week walk. We can be there so fast. Like, I got Siri out. Siri, promised land. Like, we can go there. Why are we spending 40 years in the desert? I don't understand the process that's going on here. God's ways are higher than our ways. If you can understand everything about God, then he's on the same plane of equal footing as you are. He's far above me. The God that I needed to save me is a much greater God than I could ever be and that I could ever understand. I don't have to understand everything. Jesus never said understand everything. He said be obedient. Operate in faith. That even when we don't agree with something, even when we don't understand something, are we able to still say, God, I don't understand and I don't even agree with this, but I believe that your words are truth. 
And I believe that your words are life and that it's going to lead me into life and that you're going to train me and that you're going to correct me and reveal truth to me so that I'm prepared and equipped to do everything that you call me to do. This is what happens if we take that attitude. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13 it says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. That word receive there, it actually means to the way that you would receive a stranger in your home. Someone came to your house at night and they knocked on the door. They're not from here. You don't know who they are, but you still made the decision that I'm going to extend hospitality to you. I'm going to invite you into my home. I'm going to receive you even though I don't know you. And then it says that they accepted it for what it really is. The words of God. Truth revealed infallible will of God for our lives. And when they did that, when they received it as a stranger, even when they didn't know it or understand it, when they accepted it as the word of God, not the words of man or the words of a culture, then what happened is it says that it was at work inside of them, changing their lives, sanctifying them, training them, equipping them, changing their thought patterns so that it would completely transform who they are and everything that they do. That's what God's called us to do. When we make that decision, it propels our faith forward. The second thing that we have to do is we have to apply it to our life. It's not enough just to, to say, God, I believe that your words are authoritative. We have to actually apply it to our life now for it to make any sort of a difference. It's like, I understand that I need to go to the gym. That is authoritative. When the doctor says, hey, you, you, you're not healthy, you need to go to a gym. I accept that it's authoritative, but it has yet to change my life, as you can see, because I haven't applied that to my life. I haven't actually gone to the gym yet. Still got the membership, but I have not gone yet. This is what Jesus says about that in Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds on a house of sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. There's two things you can build your life on. One is your truth, the truth of your culture that's constantly changing, that's constantly eroding away. When you build your house on that, when the storm comes, which it will, every one of us, we've all gone through storms in life, and the good news is, you're still alive. Bad news is that you're still alive means there's more storms yet to come. If you build on anything other than the truth of God, when the storm comes, your life collapses. Your faith collapses. But when you build on the word of God, when you build on his truth, those storms are still going to come to you, but they won't destroy you. You'll stand the test. The storm will come and go, but you will remain and not only will you remain, but by having gone through the test, now it opens up new doors for you, for your faith to grow and to move even farther into what it is that God's called you to do. But that only happens if we build our life on the truth that God has revealed to us. But why don't we want to accept it? To be honest with you, it's hard. It's hard work applying the word of God to our lives. Why don't I go to the gym? It's hard work. It's way more fun to sit on my couch and eat potato chips. I'm way more comfortable doing that. It's going to be hard work to get up in the morning and to go and to sweat and then have to come home and take a shower and then get out with my day. I'm going to be sore 
the next three years after that. It's not going to be fun, but it produces the results inside of me. When we apply the word of God to our lives, it hurts. But it produces something inside of us that is so worth the pain that you go through to do that. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, accepted his words as authoritative, said, what is it that I need to do? And Jesus says to him, because he knows that he has a money issue inside of his heart, he says, you need to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow after me. It says that the man turned and walked away sad. Because even though he recognized what Jesus said was authoritative and it had the power to set him free and to sanctify him, to transform the way that he thinks, the application of it to his life was painful. And the wrong desires that he had for his own wealth was greater than the desire that he had to follow after Jesus and to do the good things that Jesus had created him to do. It's the same with us. There are things you're going to come across. I don't agree with that. I don't understand that. But I believe it's true. I believe I need to do it. But it's going to hurt. But those are the decisions that change your life. And when you do that, it transforms your mind, the way that you think. It transforms your life. And it prepares you and it equips you to do everything that Jesus has called you to do. Now, I'm going to close with this. There's a really simple way that I found to actually apply Scripture to my life. And I didn't create it. It's something that Wayne Cordero, in his book, The Divine Mentor, he discovered. And, um, but years ago, I read that book and I started putting it into practice of how it is that I can start building a life that is seeking after the truth of God that is accepting its authority, and then how is it that I actually apply it to my life? The first thing you need to do is get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. If you have trouble getting a Bible, let me know, and we'll get a Bible for you. Second thing you need to do is you need to come up with a reading plan. Bibles sitting on shelves don't actually benefit you in any way, shape, or form. It only begins to, the work of transforming you when you start reading it. You need to find a reading plan. Go to YouVersion, uh, the app, and get on your smartphone, made by Life Church. Go to BibleGateway.com. They have all kinds of reading plans there that you can find. You can read the entire Bible in one year if you read three chapters a day. About 15 minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible in one year. Or maybe you just want to start out with one chapter a day, reading through the New Testament, reading through Psalms, whatever it is. Just get the YouVersion app, go to Bible Gateway, uh, just find a reading plan and start it. And then the second thing, or the third thing you need to do Start journaling through it. This is the way that I found to really apply it to my life. And he came up with something that's called the SOAP method of journaling, S-O-A-P. So what it does is every day when you're reading through Scripture, one verse that sticks out to you, just one verse. Say, man, that, that really stuck out to me. I want to investigate this one. I want to process through this verse a little bit. You just write down in your journal, write out that verse. Second thing is write out an observation about it. What is that Scripture saying? That one verse that you wrote down, what is that verse saying? Write down what the observation is about it. And the third thing, the A is application. What is the application of this verse to my life? In light of this verse, what does that mean? What does that mean about God? What does it mean about me? What does it mean about what he's called me to be or what he's called me to do? Write that out. And then the P is for prayer. So at the end of it, don't just walk away from it, but say, God, would you do this thing in my life? Would you do this thing in my heart? 
I don't want this to be a verse that I just read over and it doesn't change me, but I want this verse to really do something inside of me. I want it to reveal truth. I want it to correct me. I want it to change the way that I think. Here's an example of what that's like. This is from one of my journals. It's uh, on July 15th of this year. And the, my scripture was 1 Chronicles 15, 14. So the priest and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God to Israel. And then the O for me was the observation. Before they brought the ark up, they had to consecrate themselves. The people who hosted the presence were the priest. And they required extra consecration not required of those who didn't host the presence of God. Then the A for me was the application. And I haven't read through this in a long time, so I hope it's not weird. <laughs> there is a call to host the presence of God and to be consecrated as the people of God. There is a higher call to hosting and consecration that is required of the priest. Hosting the presence of God as a priest is a great privilege, but it also carries a great price. There's a high level of sacrifice required for the consecration to bear the presence of God. But there's also a high level of blessing for the people of God. Consecrating to something means you have to consecrate, consecrate away from other things. And this is my prayer in light of this verse. God, I want to host your presence so deeply and intimately. I want the blessing and the privilege of hosting you well. I need help with the consecration. What do I need to do? God, in my fasting and my prayer and worship and sitting at the feet of the Master in my time with you, what is it I need to do? And what do I need to stop doing? What's the time I'm wasting? What's feeding the flesh desires inside of my heart? God, will you show me what I need to do so that I can live a consecrated life hosting your presence? I could have just read over that verse. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. Just moved on. And I wouldn't remember that verse. But on July 15th of 2017, something struck me about that verse in my time of reading, and I decided to process through it and explore it. Let God speak to me about it. And that verse changed my life. Every day I can show it to you on July 14th, July 13th, July 12th, 11th. I can go back and every single day you can see something of where God was revealing truth to me and he was speaking to me. He was wanting to change the way that I think to transform my life so that I could do every good deed that he's called me to do. But that'll only happen when I start doing what David calls hiding the word of God in my heart. In Psalm 119, he says, I've hidden the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's a planting, that's a farming term. He's saying that I'm taking a seed and I'm creating a hole and I'm putting the seed in the hole and covering it back up. There's work that's doing that. I could just eat all of the seeds, which is a lot of fun, but I'm not just going to look at today, but I'm going to look at the future. God, I want you to feed me today through your word, through this, the revelation of truth, but I'm also going to take time to plant these verses down deep inside of my heart and know that there's going to be fruit of it for today for me, but I'm also going to know that there's going to be fruit of this because it's going to put down roots inside of my heart. It's going to sprout up a stalk inside of my heart and eventually be branches and buds and eventually there's going to be fruit that's hanging off of it that I won't eat today, that I won't eat tomorrow, but in months, years, maybe even decades, something's going to happen inside of my life. And because I have that fruit already there being produced inside of me, I'm able to eat of it in that day. If you did this in one year, 
you would have 365 seeds that you haven't just read it, but you journaled through it. God, what are you saying? God, how do I apply this to my life? God, I'm praying this into being inside. I'm planting this down inside of me so that in my later years, I'm going to eat of the fruit of the seed that I planted this day. Not just that. I don't want to just plant seasonal things in my life. I'm praying, God, let these things turn into trees, trees that my children eat of someday. Let it be trees that my grandchildren eat of someday. I want to plant vineyards and I want to plant orchards in my life through hiding scripture in my heart and allowing it to change the way that I think and applying it to my life so that I can do everything God's called me to do. So that generations from now, when I've long been gone, when my ancestors or the people that come after me have no idea that there was ever a Jeremy Dale Brown who lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan that they're related to, but they're still swinging on the trees and they're still eating the fruit of it. Because I did the hard work of deciding I was going to live my life built on the word of God. I was going to accept it as authoritative. I was going to apply it to my life. And every day I was going to come and I was going to plant seeds and I was going to allow it to be stored up inside of my heart so that I could be sanctified, so that I could do everything God called me to after my mind's been transformed, so that my city can be changed, so that my family can be changed. hard to apply the word of God to our lives, but it will change your life. One verse can change you and your family and your destiny forever when you accept it and when you hide it in your heart. If you did this for a decade, over 3,600 verses, I'm going to allow you to miss a couple days here, over 3,600 verses that you processed through, that you journaled through. Some of you, you're young. What would the result be in your life and in your faith that for 40 years, every day, you said, God, your word is life to me. God, your word is truth. I'm going to hide it in my heart. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to receive it and let it bear fruit inside of me and move my faith forward. You, you can't even dream now of the things that God would do in your life. But it starts somewhere. And it can start today. It must start today yourself a Bible, get a reading plan, version app or biblegateway.com, get a journal, just start going through soap, it's the easiest thing in the world, 10-15 minutes a day can change the course of your entire destiny. Jesus, thank you, thank you that you revealed truth to us, that we can build our life on you. God, I pray that there would be a new stirring in our hearts a new con holy conviction in us to build our lives built on your truth. God, we repent of our sinful desires, our sinful thoughts, the truth that we've believed without knowing it was false. Jesus, would you come and bring correction to us as we seek you out in your word? We accept it as authoritative in our life. And God, we will apply it to our life, even when we don't understand, even when we don't agree, even when it's difficult. Jesus, we're committed to the life that you've called us to. And as we search the scriptures, as we hide seeds in our heart, Jesus, would you transform us? Would you change the way that we think so it would be the way that you think? God, that we would see you in truth, that we would see ourselves in truth, that we would see others in truth. Jesus, we pray that this decision would change everything about us. 
that we truly would be transformed people, no longer living according to the customs and the patterns of this world, but a new creation, knowing your good, pleasing, and perfect will, fully prepared and equipped for every good work that you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. There's going to be on the outside here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, come, let us pray with you. If not, go out there, drink some coffee, meet some friends, get yourself a Bible, and we'll see you next week. God bless.